Everybody? Pastor Donnie has got some hair going on, hasn't he? I mean, it's just awesome. I, I, I just want to confess a sin, because uh, you, you should do that before you preach, really, get cleaned up. And, uh, and I was just sitting over there looking at his hair, coveting greatly. Hey, really good to see you. Just a quick announcement from me as well. This year, Kay and I, we led a tour to uh, London and to the Holy Land. Uh, We had an amazing, amazing time. We had folks from Timberline meet up with people from Britain. And we had a tremendous time. There was no violence between the groups, which was encouraging. Uh, Actually, it was very, very wonderful. And we're doing it again next year in February. If you are interested in knowing more information about that... We have a meeting on June the 23rd, so make a note of that if you would. June 23rd, 7 p.m. in the South Auditorium here is the place to come and find out about that trip. Well, next, next weekend, we are beginning a brand new series called Trip Advisor. We're talking about journeys in the Bible. Uh, journeys are times of transition and challenge and turning points in our lives. Did you know the word travel comes from the word travail? Any of you who have been stuck in an airport security line or have traveled across the country with your 32 children on board, you know it can be literally travail. And I'm going to be talking next weekend about a journey that Elijah took. And so this weekend, uh, this is a standalone weekend, uh, I thought let's get introduced to this man. Uh, The title of this message is How to Raise the Dead. Um, Elijah was a prophet who lived 2,900 years ago in Israel in a very confused culture. And he was a man who knew who he was in God. The name Elijah, Eliyah, it means from the Hebrew, the Lord, he is the real God. And Elijah had gone to the king and queen of the land, Ahab, who was a terrible king, a weak king. Married to Jezebel. That woman was a nasty piece of work. She is the Cruella de Vil of the Old Testament. And Elijah prophesies there's going to be drought. Then he takes off. He spends about a year, we think, by a brook being fed by squadrons of puking ravens. This doesn't sound like a great arrangement to me. And then God speaks to him again, and he moves into the next phase of his life and ministry. So let's have a look. 1 Kings 17 and verse 7. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said, but first, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, the jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. 
So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family, for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. And then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. It was one of those days, we all have them, where the best description of it is simply, it's one of those Days. You know what I'm talking about? Everything uh, seemed to be going wrong that day. I was on a book tour um, with a, a, a friend, a, a guy who'd also uh, written books. Uh, we were in Manchester, England. It was raining in Manchester, England. It usually rains in Manchester, in England. And Graham Seed, uh, he's a remarkable man. He used to be a gangster. He spent a third of his life in prison, an incredibly violent man. He's a giant. He's about six foot six tall. And he has muscles in places where I don't even have places. He is a, he's a terrifying looking guy. Uh, He spent three years living on a park bench, homeless. And some guys from YWAM, Youth with a Mission, came by and they told him about Jesus But he was not warmly disposed towards them and advised them to go away. How many know that he didn't actually say, go away? He told them to go away and uh, he then got sick and ended up in the emergency room and finally was put on a respirator. They called for his mother to sign the documentation so that they could turn the machine off. They said, there is no hope Just then, the YWAM guys showed up again. And they said, before you do that, could we just pray a prayer? So they prayed a prayer, and Graham woke up. Amazing. And two weeks later, he became a Christian. Kind of rude that he waited two weeks. (laughs) Don't you think? And he's now got this remarkable ministry going into prisons particularly. He's a, an amazing man. So we were touring together and we checked into this hotel and it was a pretty nasty hotel, if I can just be ever so honest about it. It was grubby and, and, and not very pleasant. I think it was called the Hotel California. <laughs> you can check in any time you want, but you can... Some of you are going, is that a Bible verse from Proverbs? (laughs) And I knew it was a rough hotel because the the nine-year-old at reception, he said, he said when we checked in, he said, you want an upgrade for 10 pounds? It's $15.20 current exchange rates. I said, what do we get for an upgrade? 
for 10 pounds. He said, windows. <laughs> so it's a nasty hotel. It's infested with ants. We come out. There's a parking ticket on our car because we've wrongly parked the car. It's one of those days we said to each other, we're having one of those days. So let's go and eat pizza. So we go to a pizza restaurant and we order pizza. I hope you're not offended. We, we did not pray over the pizza. We weren't in the praying mood. We didn't give thanks for it at all. We just ate it. We didn't sing any hymns or anything. And, and then the server, this lovely lady, came up with our check. And so we said, thank you very much. And she said, what are you guys going to do now? Are you going shopping? And uh, it's me and my big friend I said, no, we've got an event in this city tonight. We have an event here. And she said this. She said, is it about God? I'm like, what? I checked my lapel. There is no fish (laughs) in my lapel. We didn't say grace over the mill. There was nothing to indicate that we were Christians. It was raining, so as Christians, we we weren't even wearing our sandals. There was nothing. (laughs) I said, yeah. Yeah. It's about God. How would you know? She said, well, you were both kind to me. And she said, we get a lot of mean people coming in here, so you were both kind. So I thought, it's probably got something to do with God. Not a believer as far as I know. And don't think I'm taking any credit for this story because I think it was my gigantic friend who is so beautifully kind. Kindness turned her head. And who knows, perhaps one day, her heart. In this story, the story of Elijah, a story that we could so easily focus on, the the, the miracle, uh, kindness turns someone's heart. He's sent to Zarephath to meet this widow. Uh, They don't run out of food. Commentators, historians tell us that miracle probably went on for a whole two years. But then pressure comes, conflict comes, because her son dies, she blames Elijah. There's gratitude for you. The boy is raised from the dead. But in all of this, not only is there charismata, power, he's raised from the dead, but there is also character. In this, in this moment of domestic pressure, Elijah's kind. He's kind. And, and the Bible talks a lot about Kindness. Love is kind, says 1 Corinthians 13. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus in chapter 4, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Colossians 3, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness. One of the most beautiful words in the Old Testament is the word hased which means the loving kindness of God. And for this woman, kindness was a turning point in her life. Think about this. For two years, she's lived in a miracle. Food every day. But now, as Elijah raises her son and is kind with it, now she says, now I know that you're a man of God, And that the word in your mouth is true. The mingling, the ignition of power and consistent kindness made all the difference. How do you raise the dead? Be kind while you're doing it. The trouble is that's not always easy, is it? Kind, 
being kind. It's harder than it looks. We just had elections in Britain and I've got some, uh, we've got a friend who's a brand new member of parliament. Just got elected a few weeks ago. Just watched his, his first speech in the House of Commons. People in parliament tell me that Christians can be the rudest when they write letters and send emails to politicians. Folks in Washington, D.C. say the same thing. So often, fueled by our passion for what is right, we forget to be kind. So what does kindness actually look like? Let's unpack this a little if you're following along uh, with the bulletin. First of all, let's see that kindness is blessing those who have little or nothing to give us. Kindness is about blessing those who have little or nothing to give us. There's a widow in this story. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. Now, as a widow in Old Testament times, she was the most vulnerable person in the community. She had to rely on her family to support her. Her husband was gone. Now she was struggling, most likely. Obviously, in this story, she was. In the New Testament, special provision had to be made for widows because of their vulnerability. In other words, this woman is not a classic winner. And she hasn't got really much, if anything, she can give to Elijah. Kindness is not... You scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Kindness is not just about being reciprocal. Kindness is about blessing people who cannot pay us back. Who can do nothing for us. I I love the process of study and reflection, digging for preaching. I enjoy communication. It's a delight to stand up here And look at your smiling, warm, interested, encouraging (laughs) faces. Let me tell you what's so much more difficult for me, and I've talked to you about it before. Forgive me for the repetition. It's about repetition. When my mom, who has Alzheimer's, asks me for the 43rd time, the same question. And I want to say, you just asked me that. I just told you, didn't I? But she doesn't need me to tell her that. She doesn't need my little factual update. She needs me to touch her face and give her a hug and a kiss on the cheek and tell her that everyone in the care center where she lives now, that everyone loves her. That's what she needs. She doesn't need me to give her the information. She has nothing to offer me. I don't want to be someone who is just kind because there's a trade-off. There's a benefit. But rather, kindness is about blessing those who have little or nothing to give us. Is Is there someone in your life and they are being overlooked by you? When it comes to kindness. Secondly, kindness will be needed with those that God joins us with in fellowship. Kindness will be needed with those that God joins us with in fellowship. God tells Elijah, go at once, verse 9, to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So please see this, everybody. This is a divine appointment. 
God has choreographed this, this linking between these two people. The only thing is, the widow hasn't figured it out. And she's not the most positive person in the world. She says, I'm going to have one final meal and we're going to die. And this is not because she, she shares my fabulous cooking skills. She's starving. So here they are, look at this. In God's choreography, they are brought together, but there's still conflict, even though it's a divine appointment. Why do some Christians think that if they just get in the right church, that they're never going to have any difficulties, hassles, problems, irritations? And what happens if we don't face the facts about our brokenness, because everything is broken, me, you, we're all, we're all broken. We're all in process. Timberline, Pastor Donnie prayed it earlier. We're, we're far from perfect. And I just want to beg you, please don't spend your life on safari looking for the perfect church. It's just never going to happen because look who they allow to come here. <laughs> Starting with the platform. If you've been, I've said it repeatedly, if you've been part of this church for more than six months, and nobody in it or nothing about it has, has irritated you yet, if that's not happened so far, you're probably clinically dead. We are not a people who are together because we naturally like each other or because we, we agree about everything. We are a community of the cross. We have met in the shadow of the cross. And Jesus is our common denominator. What that means is kindness will be needed even if you're in exactly the right place. Let's not have an idealism that can fuel disappointment. Thirdly, kindness means that we refuse to be easily offended. It means that we refuse to be easily offended. In, in verse 18, this woman says to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Now, let, let's face it, everyone. That doesn't look that rude, does it? It doesn't sound that aggressive. But in Hebrew culture, this was a deeply offensive thing to say. It is a repeated insult throughout the Old Testament. I have studied in depth insults of the Old Testament. I obviously need to get out more. And I have discovered that people would often say this. There's nothing we have in common. In fact, in the New Testament, demons screaming at Jesus use this insult. What do we have to do with each other? This was really rude. So what does he do? Does he get irritated? Offended? No, he just stays being kind. Ever met people, ever met Christians, they're just always offended. I've met Christians who go to church to get offended. They get offended if they don't get offended. They come in with a kind of uh, a mentality that says, I, I wonder... I wonder what opportunity I have for irritation today. Ah, yes, they didn't play my song. They played it, but it was too loud, too soft. I've met Christians who've been offended since birth. They got upset with the midwife. Don't you slap me, honey. <laughs> Elijah refuses to do that. You know what, folks? If you live like that, you're going to get more and more offended. Let me tell you what happens. Something irritates you. 
And so in your mind, in your self-talk, you run over that. You, you think about that a lot. That, that really irritated me. And whether it's in your mind or spoken out, when you speak, either verbally or mentally, guess who's listening? You are. You listen to you. And you keep hearing you say it. And guess what? Because it's you doing the talking, you believe you because you think you're generally right. The more you hear you rehearsing your offendedness, the greater the exaggeration comes. It started with, my boss was a bit irritating this week. Seven days later, because you've been listening to you, now your boss is a bit of a bully. Two weeks later, because you've been listening to you, now your boss is such a thug, he makes Genghis Khan look like a Sunday school teacher. Do you see what's happened? And the offendedness has grown. I, I want to be like Sue. Sue was in our church back in England. Sue was pregnant. Sue was not just pregnant. I hope I don't offend you by saying this. That'd be really boring, wouldn't it, in a sermon where I talked about not getting offended too easily if you got offended. I mean, that would be gifted, wouldn't it? Sue was humongously pregnant. Hugely pregnant. I'm looking at Sue. I'm thinking, that's not a baby in there. That is a small group. I mean, she. I'm sure I could hear the sound of an acoustic guitar and some bad singing. One day she's going into church and she's pushing, she's pushing, we call it a pram. Stroller, sort of thing with wheels with a baby in it. Now that should have been a hint, shouldn't it? That she had given birth. Gentlemen, let me help you. Never ask a woman when the baby is due. Don't do that. If there is no baby, finish. So she's pushing the thing with the baby in it. And I said, hey, Sue. No baby yet then. And she looked at me and she looked into the stroller and whatever. She said, what do you think that is, a fish? (laughs) She came up and she slapped my face. She kicked me in the shins. She said, you have offended me. And she stomped off. No, she didn't do that. She didn't do that. She laughed. (laughs) She laughed. And two hours later, she called me at home. She said, Jeff, are you okay? She said, I was really worried about you. She said, you were so embarrassed today. She said, you turned so red, I thought your head was going to explode, honey. (laughs) I want to be like Sue. I don't want to be someone of whom it is said, be careful. It's 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 a bit touchy. I don't want to be someone where there is the sound of crunching eggshells as I come by. As everyone tiptoes around. Don't offend him. Sometimes our offendedness is simply our personal immaturity which we veneer with a bit of spirituality. Kindness means that we refuse to be easily offended. How about us? How do we operate in life. Fourthly, kindness. Kindness remembers that others have a story. 
Kindness remembers that others have a story. It's fascinating. Look at verse 19. The woman says to Elijah, did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Whoa! Freeze the frame. What? First of all, she's accusing Elijah of killing her son. But secondly, did you hear what came out of her mouth? Did you come to remind me of my sin? I, I, I hear the sound of skeletons rattling in the cupboard. There is a backstory that creates her capacity for anger and offense. Did you come to remind me of my sin? Where would that come from? She has a story. Often, because hurt people hurt people, we forget that they have a story and we don't offer grace. There's a reason for that hurt. Here's a picture of a man who was very important to me. That is Stanley Richard Lucas. That's my dad in 1939. I can see you looking at the photograph. You're going, he's a good looking guy. What happened to you? That's not kind. Come forward right now and repent. He went off to war in 1939, captured in 1940, taken to two prisoner of war camps. Spent his youth incarcerated until in 1945 he escaped. The Russians were coming. My dad was being held in a prison camp about 12 miles, I believe, from Auschwitz. Conditions were terrible. They took the men on a death march. It was the coldest winter in a hundred years. Let's get away from the Russians. If you fall over, you'll get a rifle butt in the back of the head or a bullet. I don't want to be too gross about this, but the men were not even allowed to pause for a restroom break. They are shuffling along frozen roads, filthy, starving. My dad saw a moment of opportunity. I'm so glad he did, because I probably wouldn't be here today had he not. There was a bend in the road. Armed sentry here as they're shuffling down the road. Armed sentry here and a bend in the road and a ten second blind spot. My dad turned to his friend and said, let's go. And they ran into the woods. They took that opportunity. And they worked their way back across, across Europe. Here's the thing. He never liked to eat potatoes with the skins on. I used to think, what's the potato prejudice about? What is that? Years after he died, I found a telegram at the bottom of a document box which identified the prison camp where he was held. I typed the name of the prison camp into Google and suddenly up popped The details of my dad's daily existence. Men manacled in neck chains. Shot because they didn't work hard enough. I found out his diet. I found out that for four or five years, for breakfast, nothing. For lunch, a small cube of black or brown bread with some watery rancid soup. And for supper, every day, a small piece of meat and some rotten potatoes. With the skins on. I didn't know 
until 15 years after he died that there was a story. If we could just stop and consider the possibility without enabling someone's obnoxious behavior, but just remember that perhaps there's a story as there was here. Perhaps we'd get along a lot better and kindness would flow. Well, the last thing is this. Kindness is being gracious when you're proven to be right. Kindness is being gracious when you're proven to be right. Verse 23, Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, I think someone needs to say sorry. I mean, you'd be tempted, wouldn't you? You've been, in, you've been accused of killing her son. But there's none of that. Instead, it simply says, he said, look, your son is alive. It is tempting to misuse power when we're in the right. To exploit the moment. But instead, there's none of that. There's wonderful generosity and grace. You know, I'm, I'm two minutes, 46 seconds ahead of time. And a little story has just popped into my head. How many of you would like to hear it? No, nobody, nobody in any of the other services have heard this, so this is extra. A few years ago, I went to rent a DVD. We were going to have a, my wife and I a date night or something, and I went to rent some romantic, slushy, glorious thing. Does anyone remember videos? You remember, how many remember videos? Okay, young people here, it was, it was obsolete technology and quite sad. And I got this DVD because now we've got DVDs. And as I picked out the DVD, I noticed there's a sticker on the DVD and it says, Be kind, rewind. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, What? So I go up to the counter and I'd like, I said, can I just ask a question? And the guy said, yeah. I said, is this or is this not a DVD? He said, yeah. I said, I've noticed that you have placed upon the aforementioned DVD, which is not rewindable, you have put a video sticker on the DVD. This is confusing. I said, what's going on? He said, well, we had those stickers left over. (laughs) And my boss said, we don't want to waste them. (laughs) So now everyone who got the DVD, it said, be kind, rewind. Here is the word of the Lord, I believe, to some of us. Be kind. Rewind. With a DVD, it's impossible. With your life and with God, it's totally possible. Let's pray.
Lord, we praise you. We thank you today. Because as we, uh, as we dig into your word and we look at a story that's nearly 3,000 years old, it speaks profoundly and practically to our own lives, to our own marriages, friendships, workplaces, parenting contexts. It, it speaks to us where we're at as your word. We thank you not only for the power that is in this story because a young man was raised from the dead, but for the challenge of it too. Because there was consistent kindness demonstrated. Help us to respond to your word. I'd like us just to keep our heads bowed and it would be very foolish of me to simply say, I'd like you to respond if you could do better when it comes to kindness. Because let's face it, we could all do better. If I asked that question, there'd be a lot of hands that would go up and those who didn't raise their hand, they would be fooling themselves because none of us have arrived in this. So that's not the question. The question is much more specific. Is there a relationship or relationships in your life where kindness specifically has become a casualty? It might be in your marriage, it might be in a friendship, in a workplace relationship. It might be that your fellowship in Timberline Church is threatened because of conflict between you and someone else. And it's time to rewind and embrace not just behaving yourself better, but allowing God's Spirit to produce kindness as a fruit of the Spirit in your character. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, meekness, temperance, self-control, fruit. Where is kindness a casualty? If that is true for you, and I'm being very specific about that, I'd love you to respond because we need to take action with these things. If kindness is a casualty somewhere in your life, specifically, I'm going to ask you as I'm looking around this auditorium right now, would you just slip up your hand and hold it there for a moment? Do it right away, and lots of people already are. I want you to just hold out your hand in front of you and breathe a prayer for that person or those persons. And now I would just like to invite you to pray a prayer for you. That somehow God will give you opportunity and wisdom to be a conduit, a channel of kindness to them. This week, maybe. Maybe an email, maybe a letter, a phone call. So we agree together, Lord. We have received your loving kindness. Help us, we pray, to pass it around. We agree together in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Our rushes are coming, and we're going to give now.
Uh, we say it every week. If you're a guest with us today, you don't have to give. Do put that connection card in if you would. If during the singing of this song you'd like to stand and you're able, feel free to do that. Let's give and let's sing together. Ushers, come if you would. a service is going to happen here. For those of tender heart and disposition, it's going to be loud, but we invite you to stick around and it's going to be a great time. You know, as we go today, some of us are very conscious and mindful that in the headlines in the last few days, two shootings in our community, as far as we know, unconnected, about fear that comes when we hear about these things and grieving families. We don't come to church to get away from the world. We come together to be equipped for the world. So let's pray. Lord, we, we bring this tragic situation of violence in our community to you. We pray for those who would perpetrate such things. We pray that you would invade their hearts. We pray for the wonderful women and men who serve in law enforcement. We pray that you will enable them and direct them so that safety may be a hallmark of our community. We pray for those who grieve today. Draw close. Bring your kindness and grace to them, we pray. We agree together in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, there's a news flash. The sun has been spotted. So go and enjoy it. God bless you. Prayer team are here if we can pray with you. We'd love to do that.